Welcome to the Click for More Customers podcast. Your host is Ted Prodromo, best-selling author of The Ultimate Guide to LinkedIn for Business and Ultimate Guide to Twitter for Business. Ted is recognized as America's leading LinkedIn coach, helping you grow your business while living the life of your dreams. Welcome, everybody. It's Ted Pedromo, and this is Social Selling TV. You can watch this episode and past episodes at socialsellingtelevision.com. And today's guest is Mark Sellers. He's the CEO and founder of Breakthrough Sales Performance. And he's got a great topic. We were just talking about the title of his topic. It's Blind Spot, How Transparency is Killing Sales Coaching Effectiveness. And we're going to talk about what transparency is and why it's a blind spot for most sales line inline sales managers. We're going to confirm the reasons good sales data is important. And gosh, people don't analyze their data enough. We're overwhelmed, aren't we? <laughs> We're going to explore three ways frontline sales managers can avoid the blind spot and become a more effective sales coach. Well, welcome, Mark. Thanks for being a guest. Thank you, Ted. It's great to be on your show today. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about this, the blind spot. The blind spot. Well, you know, probably the best place to begin is um, is to even back up a step and talk about transparency because um, my 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 uh, anecdotal hypothesis here, if you will, after 20 years of working with clients as a sales trainer, is that uh, the transparency is what's creating the blind spots. So, if it's okay to kind of connect those dots, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. All right. Cool. So, basically, you know, the idea of transparency is that I'm talking about the work of selling, um, you know, lean, lean talks about the work. Okay. And by transparency, I specifically mean the work of selling. And when you think about all the sales data that's available today, right? I mean, a salesperson has sales funnel data, pipeline data. They have opportunity management data, uh, uh, info all about the, the stakeholders, the decision makers, what the need is, who they're competing against. Uh, aging of the opportunities, velocity of the funnel, status, account information, how many dials they did this week, uh, how many proposals are sent out, samples. <laughs> There's just a just an explosion of of, of information. Um, and if you think about that, all of that data, I think, represents the work of selling. In other words, um, you know, a bit of a um, I don't know, a bit of a picture, right? Mm -hmm. so if yeah. I just you know, had pulled up somebody's, you know, information in, in, a, in a CRM system, and I looked at all that stuff I just talked about, um, I'd kind of have a picture. I'd have a picture of, of the salesperson and the work they do and maybe how busy they are, maybe how successful they are and whatever, right? So yeah. that's kind of the idea. So it's all about the work. So all of this data now is, um, is really exposed. It's exposed the work, right? Um, right. In the past, you know, it, what, before it was all exposed, salespeople could still hide, you know, <laughs> they could right. tell the sales managers what they thought the sales manager needed to hear, um, keep the sales manager off their back, they could buy some time, I mean, all kinds of stuff, right? And, and that still goes on to some degree today, but companies that are sophisticated in getting a bunch of data and, and having metrics and mining that data and you know, anybody that's kind of in the sales 2.0 sales realm, you know, data is really, really key and they're making big investments in, in sales data. So the work is exposed 
like never before. The salesperson has no place to hide. The sales manager believes that they're a lot smarter than they used to be because they have all this data. Right. And, and yeah. so it's, and they believe they've got the whole story. And, but in fact, they really don't have the whole story, but we'll get to that in a second. So they, I believe, because I've seen this, they, they believe they've got the whole story. They can become more impatient in talking to salespeople about a deal or their funnel. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how come it's not moving? What have you done? What haven't you done? How come you're not prospecting more? And all of this, I believe, created, creates a higher uh, level of tension and that, that creates a defensiveness on the part of the salesperson. Yeah. And, and so you got, you know, I'm painting like this dire picture, but, you know, in some cases it's, you know, not that bad. But in some cases, hey, I've seen it. It's, it's really, really ugly. So where the sales manager thinks that there's coaching going on, coaching about the deal or the pipeline or whatever, it's, it's oftentimes really not. Uh, the salesperson has shut down. Uh, the sales manager is doing a lot of interrogating. Um, the salesperson feels like they're being poked and prodded, you know, left and right. And they're certainly not getting coached. So the blind spot, you know, is basically the sales manager not realizing that this tension and this defensiveness uh, exists. Right. And they just rock and roll with whatever they got to get through, baby. I got 30 minutes for you like I do every week, or I got an hour for you like I do every week or whatever, whatever the cadence call is. They got to get through it. And they think that coaching is happening sometimes, and, and a lot of times it's not. So because they don't know it's happening, it's a blind spot. I've kind of seen this with sports teams where they're managing to all this data now they have. In baseball, they line up the you know outfielders in certain positions. They know this guy hits it here nine out of ten times. And sometimes they overuse the data or there's some intangibles that they forget about. Does that happen with the sales coaches? I think it does. I was, gonna, I, I was hoping you weren't going to ask me if that happens in baseball because I don't know <laughs> enough about baseball to answer that one. But, uh, yeah, I think, again, I think there's this assumption that – you know, we have the story, we, we have what we need for this call, right? So if it's a, if it's a deal opportunity management call, I, I can see the information. I've got it in front of me, right? Uh, why isn't something happening? Why isn't it moving faster? Well, if, if so, yes, it, I think they can go overboard thinking that they've got the full picture right. and dive into, okay, let's cut to the chase. You know, what are the three things that you got to do? And, you know, how can I help you or whatever that is. Right. So, yeah. So I think you're right. Yeah. They can make some assumptions and kind of skip over. Frankly, maybe, you know, I heard it referred to one time as the words on the printed page, but the white space can be quite telling too. Right. Time to, to kind of look for that, you know, read between the lines, so to speak, then you can miss some important things with your salespeople. Yeah. Oh, that's great. How many companies actually measure all this, use all this data? Is it just larger companies or you know, like how, how far down does it go? Yeah, well, you know, I can only speak frankly from my own clients. You know, I've had quite a few over the past 20 years. And I can speak from, you know, the, the studies that come out and the research, whether it's CEB or Miller-Hyman and CSO Insights or in, in whoever it is. And my, my impression is that the big companies that have money, um, 
to put, put behind CRM of any type. They have these big sales ops departments that have become quite, you know, really, really powerful. Look at Salesforce, uh, Dreamforce, the, the, the Salesforce.com show. It's, um, you know, there's a, there's a whole, uh, there's a huge society that's built around the sales operations function, right? Yeah. Think, um, you know, they they wield a lot of power. So um, it's my impression the bigger companies that have the CRM systems, um, that they have the investments they can make in, in getting data, collecting it, mining it, et cetera. My own clients, you know, they range from SMBs that might be 25 million in sales mm-hmm. up to, let's say, a couple hundred, 250 million in sales. And then I have a few outlier clients that are like a billion to three billion in sales. Mm-hmm. And the larger, those larger companies, you know, I think of the two that I have, they both have global sales forces and I've had the privilege of working with their, their entire global sales forces. They've spent a fair bit trying to understand you know, the work as I describe it and, mm-hmm. and collecting that data and then figuring out what it means. Yeah. Yeah, I worked as an online marketing manager for a software company. We'd collect all this website data. So we knew when these people came to the website, what pages they visited, how frequently. So then the salespeople had all this information so they could just contact them. It's, it's pretty cool how well it worked. It is. Well, you know, when I was doing Sales 2.0 stuff, uh, again, going to a lot of the Sales 2.0 conferences, I spoke um, in the, the conference in 2009, I think it was, um, or, eight or, eight or eight or nine, right after coming out, coming out of the global financial crisis. And um, Garrett Schwantner had um, invited me to speak because this whole customer decision-making process stuff was, was kind of new, you know, sell, align your selling to how the customer buys. And I was at the forefront of creating a model for doing that, et cetera. And, you know, there was a company back then that became quite popular called Marketo. And yeah. um, they're quite successful, obviously. Eloqua is another one. And um, I love what Marketo presented at one of the conferences, this idea of the marketing, or excuse me, the revenue funnel. And what they did was they, they took the marketing funnel and they took the sales funnel and they squished them together hmm. and basically talk, uh, describing that journey now that the customer makes when they you know, have a problem or don't even know they have a problem to making a purchase, it has to include what, um, what Marketo might call sort of that pre-sales part right. um, where the marketing people are getting a lot involved in A, creating awareness, B, nurturing the lead, and then C, finally handing off a sales-ready lead to a salesperson, right? Right. So, yeah, I mean, so now, again, back to data, your, your, your observation it's sales data that not only you know Salesforce is creating, but the marketing department is creating, and and trying to add value mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, we got into all kinds of details. Like this is a marketing qualified lead, and this is a sales qualified lead. So as marketers, we had to get them to a certain point to get them to the salesperson. Mm. So it was, it, was, it was fascinating. This stuff's really interesting. I have to say, it, it's. I mean, it's quite. Um, it's quite efficient if you think about it. And in fact, I, had a, I made a sales call yesterday and the president of this uh, printing company asked me about marketing and what I know and what I get involved with with my clients um, on the marketing side rel- relative to selling. And I said, you know, I, I know enough to be dangerous. And, you know, I mean, speaking of Marketo and Eloqua and, and all that kind of stuff, and, and I do, although I don't, don't do any training or consulting around the marketing and the point I made to him was, you know, 
and it was germane to him because his salespeople are doing not just selling, but they're doing some of that marketing stuff too. They're sending out the drips as they see fit. It's not necessarily automated. You know, it's kind of clunky and manual and, you know, people have to do what they have to do, right? Yeah. But, but the point is, I think one of the beauties of, of, of cutting up your, your revenue funnel the way Marketo describes it is um, if you have the resources, then let your salespeople do what they do well, sell, give them good sales ready leads that they can go work through the process and, and win business from. The more you take them away from having to do all that stuff, frankly, you know, it just dilutes their effectiveness, right? Yeah. So how do you help people measure? Is this good data or bad data? You know, you're collecting all this information. How do you know if it's accurate or it's the right data to close a sale? But I guess the bottom line is to close more sales faster for more revenue. Yeah. <laughs> also called, uh, you know, maybe the Holy Grail or Nirvana, take your pick. Right. <laughs> so, you know, what, what, you know, I don't, I don't get involved in greatly in analyzing data and crunching data and all that kind of stuff. But what we do get involved with and, and shed light on is the whole idea of the funnel. Obviously, having written a book called The Funnel Principle, you'd think I, I might know something about that. Um, published back in 2008. So since 2008, that's been head down what me and any of our colleagues here are focused on helping clients get more effective at managing their sales funnel. And there's a load of data obviously in there, right? Um, but, you know, in my journey of doing what I do, frankly, I've come to a conclusion that with a lot of clients, and again, just speaking from my client perspective, um, with a lot of clients, you know, less is more. So the more we ask them to do in terms of understanding the data on their funnel, the more we ask them to do, obviously, in populating the data around their funnel and having to keep it up to date, frankly, it's, it sounds great on paper, mm -hmm. but you run into a compliance problem, right? You know, and salespeople get pulled out of doing what you really want them to do. Get in front of customers, talk to them about their needs, and, and if you can fulfill a need and sell them something, then do that. Right. So, you know, we limit it, you know, to funnel value kind of stuff. I mean, how big is somebody's sales funnel and is it big enough uh, to close the remaining quota gap for the year mm -hmm. so somebody can achieve their quota? If we keep it, you know, and there's a little more to it than that, but if we keep it that simple and we focus on the conversation that a frontline sales manager needs to have around that topic, then we know the sales managers are going to be effective. And, and again, that's kind of what inspired me to, to, to write this Blind Spots book. I, I wasn't seeing that. What I saw was conversations around checking boxes, you know, working our process, getting from start to finish. Um, and it, it kind of looked like they were doing their job as a sales manager, but it sure didn't sound like they were doing their job. Right. And the more I started to, you know, frankly, become aware of that, um, then it occurred to me that we're not teaching, we, me, we're not teaching these sales managers how to have good conversations around the pipeline and around opportunities. Right. So the two chapters in the book that I, um, they've been the hardest chapters to write and they're the last chapters um, that I'm finishing um, because they've been the hardest to write. Um, you know, frankly, the, the one chapter is called, um, how we get in our own way. 
So what, what we, we, these sales managers are not having effective conversations because they're getting in their own way. Mm-hmm. And then that, that's followed up by another chapter that says how to get out of your own way. <laughs> right. So a lot, of my, a lot of my time is spent um, just trying to make the sales manager aware of, of, of what they're doing. Um, I'm, I listen, it, it may not be obvious. I actually listen in on the coaching conversations. It's all, it's all virtual. We're dialing in. We got the data, you know, in front of us, the funnel worksheet or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm literally listening. I don't say a word and, and everybody knows I'm on the line and the reps know that I'm coaching the manager more than I'm coaching the salesperson. Cause I don't say anything. Right. So then we do debriefs at the end. And when I tell these sales managers, you know, do you realize what you said, you know, when you said something and they go, really, did I say that? <laughs> did you notice the salesperson kind of shut down after that? Mm, no, I didn't really notice that either. So I'm trying to make them aware that they're actually just getting in their own way. Right. You know, and you know, there's more detail to it than that, but that's in essence what they're doing. So then my job is after they're aware of that, I got to help them get out of their own way. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of where we're coming from with this, um, this book. That sounds great. I'm really powerful because I know there's people, they say things to certain employees and they shut down and then they're not performing as well. That's because the manager is just the way they're communicating with them. Mm-hmm. I've seen that with so many times. I worked high tech industry for 20 years and there's always technical people got promoted to be our bosses and they didn't know how to manage or communicate. Mm-hmm. They would just like our productivity would just plummet when we get new managers. I can see you. That's a great service you're providing. So what are three ways the sales manager can avoid that blind spot? Obviously having you help them with their communication. Well, the, one of the first things that I would, I would, I would tell, you know, all of my clients, which I do and, and anybody can, can, uh, can, can grab onto is this whole idea of taming your judgment. What's really underneath and here's, and, and, and this is really, I, you know, this became a lot more apparent to me for personal reasons. And, 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 and again, there's a personal story behind the book. Um, it became clear to me when I became aware of my own blind spots in my personal life. And then things really started to fall into place as I applied that same thing to sales managers. Why, I mean, I, I asked myself, you know, could the same thing be happening? And lo and behold, it, it was. So underneath a lot of this stuff is, is something that can be kind of ugly, but frankly, it's part of who we are as people and it's judgment. So what I find is that the sales manager is, there's often a tone of judgment to what they're doing and what they're saying. And sometimes it's really obvious and sometimes it's not so obvious. Um, and and, and the, the irony is when it's not so obvious it can actually be more damaging because it's almost like they're being uh, two-faced. It's like they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. They're saying one thing, but the salesperson really feels, they're smart, they feel what the sales manager is really, really saying, right? Right. It's not consistent with what what, what they say in words is not consistent with what the salesperson is really feeling. And that's because there's this strong undercurrent of judgment. So, if sales managers could realize that when they, when they think they're coaching and they have any questions about how effective um, and genuine, genuinely purposeful their coaching is, 
if they look to any signs of judging people in their comments, in the tone of their comments, I think they're going to find some pretty powerful stuff. So if they can get, you can't really get rid of the judgment. It's, it's like getting rid of your ego. It's yeah. We can be less egotistical, but we can never get rid of our ego. And we shouldn't because there's a good part of our ego for, for you know, it, it serves a good purpose. Yeah. So we can't get rid of being, you know, judging people all the time, but we have to learn to tame it. Um, so, you know, I'll just stop with that. The second thing I would say is, and I, I coined this, um, this phrase, I wrote a column, I used to write a column for the American Business Journals for several years until they changed their format and they went highly digital and they didn't want to have outside people doing columns, et cetera, anymore for a long time. But I had a blast writing these 500 to 800 word columns. And I wrote a column, what's called Diving for Pearls. Mm-hmm. And I asked, I said, do you know what, you're, do you know what, what pearls your salespeople are diving for? So I think the second thing I would say is to the sales managers, do you know what pearls your, your people are diving for? And the idea here is this um, pearls. I mean, you may not know this. I didn't until I investigate, investigated it. Pearls used to be collected, you know, and harvested, you know, um, on the, the floors of oceans and seas by people. I mean, literally by somebody diving down and grabbing it, right? Yeah. And, um, they would actually risk life and limb and lots of different things and descend 30 meters, 40 meters. It was, you know, not a very low risk way of making a living. And the point I made in the article was why did people do this? What inspired them? You know, what were they motivated? Uh, Was it more than just a job? I suspect it was. So anyway, we're all diving for pearls and we all have these different motivations. And I just don't think that sales managers, you know, know as well as they think they know what pearls their people are diving for. So it's just, it's just a way to kind of lock in and, and not make any assumptions. Right. Yeah. And then the third thing I would say is um, I would say, stop trying to fix your people. And this is kind of related to the first one of, of judgment, but you know, I've had a lot of managers. Um, I'm not embarrassed to say, because um, I'm, I'm sorry to say I've had, I shouldn't say a lot. I've had enough, sales manager clients that um, they really looked at people as being problems that needed to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you do that, um, a lot can go wrong, right? Yeah. Um, so I would say to sales managers, I do say to sales managers, if you think you're trying to fix your salespeople, um, stop doing that because they will feel that. And, and they don't, they don't want to be fixed. They don't think they're a problem. They may have, lots of areas of improvement. Of course we all do. But if you look at those areas of improvement as, as problems to be fixed, you know, when the judgment is the running theme, then it doesn't feel like I've got a problem to be fixed. It feels like I'm a problem and you're trying to fix me. Right. Yeah. I've only worked at, sorry, the one years ago I had 75 people reporting to me. I had a lot of management classes and they, they, I learned so much about, okay, this person does it one way. Another person is doing it the other way. One's not right or wrong. They're getting the job done. So let them do it the way they like to do it. Mm-hmm. Don't judge them. That's powerful. That's great. That's great advice. And I think it takes a lot of courage for, for you to do that because um, it's a lot easier for you to say, I, I know how, I know how to manage um, somebody in doing this job, right? So if they do this job the way I, that I want them to do it, I can manage to that. I think it gets harder for you to manage to 
different people doing a job in a different way. Right. Right. You know, so obviously, you know, um, but if you're there to, to lead and to, to, to grow and everything, then, um, they're going to be better off if you take the, the approach that, that you took. Yeah. Oh, I loved when managers would just say, get it done. I don't care how you do it. And I always worked better. The micromanagers just drove you crazy. Yeah. Say, let me ask you a question if I can. Sure. Um, you know, related to micromanaging, because sometimes the topic will come up, um, you know, with, with a manager of mine or a rep talking to the manager. Um, you know, the, the difference between micromanaging and let's say holding someone accountable to things they, frankly, said they were going to do. Yeah. Um, how would you describe, is there a difference, do you think, between holding people accountable to things they say they're going to do and micromanaging them? Oh, yeah. My most recent job a few years ago when I was the online marketing manager for this company, this, the, our director was like, everything, every ad I wrote, he would like read and critique. Like, he didn't know how to write ads online. And this one woman is our content manager. She would write articles for the website. He went through everything she ever wrote and made corrections and things. Like everything, the whole marketing department around the world was doing. He wrote, he went through everything we did. That was like the ultimate micromanager. Yeah. Where other managers, you know, in the past when I worked in high tech more, they would just say, sure, do it. Here's what you got to do. Here's your training. This is how you fix this or this is what you do. Just go do it. Yeah. And if you had problems or something, they saw some ways that you could do it better. Maybe they would give you suggestions. Yeah. They wouldn't say you have to do it this way. Here's three ways you have to do it. So the focus is on what needs to get done. The focus is not necessarily on how it gets done. If I right. understand that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it gets in your way. I don't know. It used to make, make it feel really horrible because they'd call you out in front of the group sometimes saying, you're, you're doing this wrong. I was like, I'm doing twice as many service calls as everybody else. How can you say I'm doing it wrong? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think the way people say it too, like you said, they just, people take it the wrong way and then they just shut down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. We yeah. find that with process a lot. I, the, the thing I, I fight with my sales managers a lot is uh, to not let the process that we've taught them and trained them in and trained their salespeople in to not be handcuffed by it. Right. Um, to not be, you know, um, uh, completely, you know, subservient to it or whatever the phrase might be, but rather to, to see it as sort of some rails. And within those rails, you can do a lot of different things. Um, I, and I've got some managers that really struggle with that. The difference between, you know, a process and, you know, something that might just frankly be a, a bureaucracy, you know, a set of steps is not necessarily a process, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's something and maybe that made, made me think of that, you know, in talking about accountability and micromanaging, that's another thing we, um, and I address that a little bit in blind spots. I mean, again, the focus is on the sales conversations between managers and their salespeople. And those conversations typically they're pretty limited to a sales funnel conversation, an opportunity or deal management conversation, and a sales call conversation, right? Yeah. So that's, um, we, we address those as well in, um, in, in blind spots. Yeah, it's so important now because everybody's going a thousand miles an hour in life. 
everything is happening so fast these days. I mean, imagine 20 years ago, how slow things move when you look back on it. Right. It's like, yeah. It's crazy. I was yeah. installing computers in companies in the 80s. There was no computer there. They had three people use the computer and they would yeah. go down and be down for a week and nobody cared. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like, how fast can you run? And sales yeah. managers don't have time to micromanage, really. They don't. They, they don't. shouldn't be. Yeah. And I think, all, and again, you know, I, I think to me, this, this is all about the price of progress. So if you think like, you know, um, Columbus, Ohio here, I just heard a st statistic the other day that we're about 2 million, a met whole metro area, and we're expected to go to 3 million in about 10 to 12 years. It's like, I, when I heard that, I said, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. So there's a lot of construction, right? Roads are being expanded, new roads are being put in, um, and that, you know, the price of the progress, good economy, a lot of people moving here, lots of good, fun things to, to happen. Um, higher commute times, more congestion, maybe some more crime, et cetera. Right. And I think this is kind of the price of progress is a lot of data. It's a good thing. It can be very powerful if we use it the right way. But the price is if we're not taught how to use it, if we're not coached in how to use it, if we don't understand it and we don't you know, fully know uh, kind of the impact of what's happening in these conversations, um, it's, it creates another problem, but that's the price of progress, right? You fix one problem and you've created another one and you got to go fix that one. And then you're going to create another one to follow. So, right. Good, good job security for somebody. I don't know who, but. Exactly. Whatever. So, so where do you see things in like five to 10 years with sales? Like with social selling now, whatever that is, you know, I always kind of make fun of that. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where do you see the sales process going? Because things are happening so fast. Boy, uh, you know, it's a you know I, I don't think I don't think a lot about where it's going, but um, there is one place that I think it's going, and I've been thinking a lot about that because one of the things I do is I'm an advisor for a company called Illumio. So we'll we'll ring that cash register. Sorry, Ted. And Illumio. Is a um, an online content provider um, of sales courses, HR courses, marketing courses, and finance courses. And they kind of cut their teeth on the finance track. They've got 600 courses online. All these courses are like, you know, 45 to 60 minutes, right? And they've recently, you know, over the past year, they've branched out beyond finance to go to these other functional areas. And they called me and said, hey, would you help us do that? And I said, I'd be delighted to. Yeah. So I play a role. I'm an advisor for the company. And to be honest with you, I just, I had no idea um, this industry, the extent of this industry. There is a lot going on, a lot of content that's being produced. There are a lot of providers yeah. colleagues of mine that do what I do. They may have a book. They may have a couple of books, whatever they have IP. Um, they're investing a lot of money in creating their own systems, you know, their own LMS kind of systems and in ways for clients to interact directly with them online. It's, it's, I think becoming a really big business. And what, what's, what's shocking, I actually I called it, I, I threw this word out in a, a conversation we had the other day. I said, it seems to me like this is disruptive technology. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what it is yeah. uh, because, you know, I don't think, you know, the, 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 the trainer sales trainer day rate 
is going to be in jeopardy next week. Um, and all of the butts and seats licenses, you know, that they sell and make a very good living when you're good at it, um, is going to be in jeopardy next week. But next year and five years from now, I mean, we don't have to look far for examples of, of companies that went from nothing to, you know, billion dollar valuations in a very short period of time. Right. Right. So I think that is one thing. Um, that is going to be different about sales training specifically. I don't know what that is going to look like um, other than what I know it looks like right now. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, if you're a 35, 40 year old something sales trainer, you know, I'm, I'm North of that. Um, Still have a few good years left in me. (laughs) Um, If you're starting out or mid career and you have a long way to go, I think you better be on, on alert you know, and, and maybe begin thinking about uh, how to, frankly, you're not going to fight it. You can't, Yeah. Um, you know, how to join it, how to become a part of it. I have, I mean, it's, seriously, I, you know, I, you know, I, I would love to do this, you know, God willing for maybe another 10 years yeah. um, and um, in some iteration. And so I've begun spending more time actually developing online stuff and um, you know, I think that'll continue to evolve. Yeah. I'm excited and, 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 and anxious about it at the same time, right? Well, did you see uh, LinkedIn released LinkedIn Learning, which is lynda.com, basically? Mm-hmm. They just relaunched it, and they said, World Economic Forum said in t- three years, by 2020, 25% of our jobs that exist right now will be automated. So <laughs> 25% of the existing jobs. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so we got to well, keep on top of it. It's like it's like the old saying: the marketing guy who says, "You know, I know that fifty percent of my budget is just my 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 marketing program is not having any impact." The problem is, I don't know which fifty fifty percent of it is, right? Exactly. You know, yeah. so I'd like to know which twenty five percent of the jobs are going to be eliminated, or maybe they have they have they um, announced that too in their opinion, or are they just saying in general, be ready for for that kind of downsizing if you will well look at it uber drivers are going to be replaced by automated cars any manufacturing job seems to be automated i toured the miller brewing plant in milwaukee this summer i was up there for a wedding and we saw like six people working there they make five hundred thousand cases of beer a day and the forklifts are even automated through lasers and they let's sit there are moving literally 12 football fields worth of beer every day and there's not a person in there. Unbelievable. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, I mean, it is interesting. I mean, we got to have, you know, um, well, in, a, in an unrelated way to get in this may, this may not make the final cut, whatever, like you said, but, um, you know, Neil Postman wrote a book. Um, it's around here somewhere with the title. Um amusing ourselves to death or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, in the book, he compared the 1984 George, George Orwell book, right? 1984 yeah. to um, this book by um, Aldous. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I forget the name, but anyway, basically in 1984, we were scared that it was going to be big brother that was going to take over. Right. Yeah. 
And Postman said, well, no, it's, that's not really what we need to be scared about. You know, the, the, we were scared that the government would ban books in 1984, right? What we need to be scared of is nobody will care about books. Nobody will want to read a book, right? And I think, um, you know, who knows what 15, 20, 30 years is going to look like from the standpoint of jobs. I mean, if you have, if 25% becomes 50 and we don't add, okay, the current jobs, 25% of them, well, we hope that more jobs get added, right? New technologies. Yeah. Um, but if we don't keep pace with that, who's going to be around to drink all that Miller beer? That's right. It's true. Yeah. So. Well, one thing too, B2B sales forever. You know, it's going to be a person communicating with a person ultimately. Technology will connect those people. But it comes down to two people agreeing that they're going to do business together. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I mean we've, already, we've already seen. I mean, we used to think that inside sales was, was like a, um, a stepchild. Of mm -hmm. Like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm in sales, but she's an inside sales, right? Right. And that's just blown out of, uh, you know, out of the water. You know, some of the best salespeople in the world are inside salespeople. Mm -hmm. and some of the most highly compensated salespeople in the world are inside sales. Yeah. You can sell stuff over the phone and not even like face to face me looking at you, you, you looking at me on this technology. Um, so, um, you know, all of these things, you know, and it's like Joe Galvin, Joe Galvin, um, Joe um, is now the, I forget what his title is, but he's the, He's a um, head of research, if you will, for Vistage. Mm -hmm. Joe, Joe worked for Sirius Systems. He worked for Gartner. And most recently, he was with CSO Insights, Miller Hyman. Now he's with Vistage, again, doing research. And he and I were talking the other day, and he said, the technology is just rapidly advancing so much that people are literally looking for a problem that can be solved they got the technology and they're saying, okay, we got this technology. Let's look for a problem to be solved as opposed to in classic sense. Oh, we have a problem. Well, let's, let's find out how we can solve it. Maybe there's some technology we can solve it. So, you know, technology is just raging ahead and, you know, things that we just don't think are possible. I mean, like self-driving cars, uh, like people not buying from people. No, that's not going to stop it. I, I don't think so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, We'll buy from avatars. We'll buy from, we'll buy from sexy avatars. You know? That's right. <laughs> They'll get smart, man. They're not stupid, these people that uh, they know what they're doing with these businesses. So well, I guess, yeah, the virtual reality that's taking off now. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what kind of salesperson do we, do we, I mean, think, think about it. This is hilarious, right? Okay. Think about Disc and Myers-Briggs and you, uh, my God, I just thought of this in talking to you. You've, you've analyzed this person you're talking to. They're, you know, they're, they're amiable, they're a driver, they're, uh, you know, whatever they are, categorized, right? So we need somebody to call on them. Rather than picking somebody that we, happen to, we have and then having them adjust, hopefully they can pull this off, adjust the way they sell to, to, to meet this kind of person, right. we dial up Susie's salesperson. And we, we plug into her a program that says, Susie, you're calling on an amiable. Go at it, girl. Right? Nope. Now she, she hangs up the phone and now she's calling on, you know, a driver. Okay. We download her with a different software. Hey, Susie, you're calling on a driver. 
is that 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 can't be far fetched, Ted. No, I know you're scaring the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, you know, I I will be uh I'll either be long since retired, maybe those people will be calling on me to fix my my cable box or something or sell me some new direct TV or maybe I will be dead and gone. Um, and either way, I will have nothing to say about that. So I don't think it's that far away, you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, well, Mark, this has been great. So how can people get a hold of you? Well, two ways. They can call me at 614-571-8267. Uh, they can go to our website, which is breakthrough-sales, breakthrough-sales.com. Put a mark on the front end of that, and you can have my email address, mark at breakthrough-sales.com. LinkedIn always as well. Um, probably the easiest way that people would find me, find my profile there. Cool. Well, thanks for your time. This has been great. I've enjoyed it, Ted. Thanks okay. for having me. Take Talk care now. Talk to you soon. All righty. Bye-bye.